and welcome back to Parked Car Convos. I am Maddie Mitchell, the worst podcast host in the world. Thank you so much for coming back. I don't know why you did that. Uh, maybe you were like, oh, this bitch finally uploaded an episode after like six and a half weeks. It hasn't been that long. It's been two. I'm being dramatic, but not really. And the worst part is I fully recorded an episode in between the last time I posted and now. And I recorded it at uh, uh, words, 26 seconds in and I am... <laughs> I am fumbling my words. That is not, we're not off to a good start. I recorded an episode like two weeks ago and I recorded it at night, which was my downfall because I am dead to the world and society after like 3 p.m. I have a lot of energy in the morning. And after that, I just progressively lose steam and lose steam and lose steam. And that's just that's just my life. You know what I mean? So I recorded it one night at like 8 p.m., which you might not think is late, but like that's late for me. And it was terrible. I recorded like 40 minutes of it. And then I was like, there's literally no way I can in good conscience post this episode. So I didn't. And then I just never recorded another one. But I'm back. I'm back. And I have a really good episode today. Hopefully, I'm really excited about um, the concept of this because um, I think it's going to be very educational. I think we're all going to learn a lot. I think we're all going to grow together as people. Like our knowledge is going to expand and I love that for us. It's also crazy because the last time I uploaded an episode, I said, hey guys, it just ran away to the mountains. And guess what? Now I'm like leaving the mountains this week, which is so crazy. So anyways, time has flown. Um, I am super excited because today's episode, we are diving into WikiHow. Now, you probably know what WikiHow is. If you don't, for some reason, it's basically a website that teaches you how to do things. So like all of their articles are like how to blank. And it can be helpful. Like there's definitely things on there that can be helpful. Um, I think some of like their most popular uh, articles are like how to tie a tie, how to change a tire, you know, things like that, that are just basic things that people need to know, but we don't always commit them to memory. You know what I mean? Um, so it definitely can be helpful. But then there's like a weird, there's a weird section of this website where they write articles about things that literally no one should ever have to know how to do. And those are the ones that we're going to be diving into today. And there's also, I will point out, there is another section of this article that no one should ever have to look up an article for how to do that thing. And what I mean by that is there are articles entitled How to Breathe. Um, I think we got that covered for the most part, right? Like, do we not? There's like some other ones that are just fa- b- very like basic knowledge that <clears throat> that I don't think anyone would really need to look up an article on how to do that, but to each their own. We are going to be looking at the crazy, zany, very niche ones that just make no sense. And I'm very intrigued as to why someone wrote an article about it in the first place. Okay. And we're going to, like I said, we're going to become educated together. We're going to learn um, a lot. So this isn't going to be, you know, a silly, funny episode. This is going to be purely educational. There will be nothing silly or funny about it. There, I said it. Okay. The first one we're going to look into is how to stop a wedding. Now, this one for me is hysterical just the title alone, because can you imagine you are thinking to yourself like, wow, so-and-so is getting married. Like, I don't want them to get married. Like, you know what I should do? I should stop that wedding. And then the first thing you do after that is Google how to stop a wedding and you click on the WikiHow article. 
that just seems like a lot of steps that people wouldn't necessarily take. And also, maybe I've never seen someone stop a wedding in person. Um, I've never stopped a wedding myself either. So I can't really speak to like the real life experience of this, right? But I I feel like from movies and from TV shows, when people stop a wedding, it's usually very like spur of the moment, spontaneous. You know, they're there and then they realize, no, I'm in love. You can't get married. And then, you know, they stand up when they say, does anyone object to this wedding? Which, why the fuck do they ask that? That is not a question that will be asked at my wedding. I'm not taking any chances. Are you kidding? Why do they ask that? Like, why do they open the floor for people to give their two cents? If I wanted it, I would have asked you separately, not at my wedding ceremony. Like, does anyone else find that really weird? Maybe they don't do that as much anymore because they feel like that's a very like old timey thing, right? Um, But all right, let's see. Let's see how you stop a wedding. If I were to Google this article with every intention of stopping someone's wedding, like, let's see what I would come up with. Okay. It says, we've all seen the movies where a person halts a wedding in progress in order to get back with the one they truly love. In reality, stopping a wedding is much more serious of an undertaking. It involves a lot of thought and planning and taking an honest look at your motives and intentions. If you truly believe the couple shouldn't be together, and if you believe you're justified in doing so, we have some suggestions for how to go about stopping a wedding with logic and legal action. Legal action? my god are we suing these people okay step one is approach the couple okay um actually oh this is i'm sorry that was part one step one is consider your motivations all right so before attempting to stop a wedding you need to think about why you've decided to take this on yeah fair enough i think a lot of people i think i think your motives would be pretty clear you know what i mean like because you don't just sit down and think, you know, there's that wedding coming up. Do I want to stop it? You, you, I think the motivation comes pretty naturally. You either are like, oh, they're bad together or, you know, the guy's cheating on her or I'm in love with him or, you know what I mean? I think, I don't think we needed to have that as a step, but okay. Uh, step two, meet the bride and the groom privately to talk. Go directly to the couple to be and calmly discuss why you believe their wedding should be stopped. If there are legal reasons they should should not be married, bring these up and show the facts. Imagine how you would feel if someone tried to stop you from having your wedding. Go into a discussion with the couple thinking carefully about the words you use in your reasoning. Make sure to stay calm and collected to get your point across in the best way. Voice your concerns and offer solutions if you bring up legal problems. Why? This, this, see what I'm saying about it's so niche. Like the person who wrote this had very clearly, they had like one very specific situation happen to them. And while they were living through that, they were like, I think other people must experience this. So I'm, I'm gonna, yeah, I think I'm gonna write a WikiHow article about this because what legal, like, Every reason I can think of for people like not to get married that you would stop a wedding for is not, there's no legality involved, right? It's mostly like purely emotional, I feel like. So this is just so, it's so niche. And then, okay, so then step three is to address your concerns one-on-one. Okay, so like you go to them as a couple and you're like, hey, 
you guys should not get married for legal reasons. And here are the facts. And then if that doesn't work, then immediately you have to be like, okay, what? You're not listening to me? That's fine. Hey, Susie, can I take you to the side for a second? And you then you discuss it with Susie and you bring everything by her. And uh, what does it say? This may be a good time to ask questions about how they're feeling about the wedding and what their future looks like in their eyes. If I had to guess, they're feeling pretty good about it because they're getting married. Um, why they believe their significant other is the one for them. It's also fun- <laughs> it's also funny to think about like like that this is just some guy that was invited to the wedding because he is like a fam like a distant family friend or you know what I mean. It's funny to picture that it's someone who's kind of disconnected from them as a couple. And he's like, guys, I don't know. Why do you think you guys are right for each other? And it's like, what? You are literally, you're literally like Father Pat's nephew. I have no idea who you are. Why are you talking to me about this? Wow. Step four, this is like a bold one. Convince the couple to wait a year. (laughs) If you can't convince one or both of the lovebirds, why are you referring to them as lovebirds? If we're supposed to be like rooting against this couple, why would you call them lovebirds? If you can't convince one or both of the lovebirds to call off the wedding, you can try getting them to hold off for a year. The expense of a wedding is a great excuse to need to wait and save up more money. Okay, but obvi- if they if they're having a wedding, then they have then they've planned it. Like they have the money for it. You can't call off a wedding that isn't already planned and booked because it's not planned and booked. So then getting them to wait a year would be so heinous and kind of out of the question like if you've booked everything you can't just be like yeah you're right I know my wedding's next weekend but I think I'm gonna push it off for a year because because Sam asked us to like what that just doesn't make any sense oh my god it gets worse as I keep scrolling also I have not read any of these beforehand so I had no idea I just read the titles and I was like these seem sufficiently insane Step five is suggest a fake wedding. Now here's, this is getting a little crazy. Discuss holding a wedding celebration, but without the minister and the paperwork. No one has to know it's not legally binding and everyone can still enjoy themselves. This may satisfy a couple looking forward to the event and the festivity, but avoid any trouble later with divorce lawyers if it doesn't end well. I'm so confused as to what the situation is because from everything that we've read, this couple is like very excited to get married. They seem to be very in love with each other. They've gone ahead and they've planned a whole entire wedding. Why, why would you like if they are so hell bent on having a wedding that they want to have a fake wedding, maybe they should just have the real wedding. Do you know what I'm saying? Because if you want to get married that bad that you're like, like if this person approaches you and says, you know, I don't think you should get married, but here's an alternative. Have a fake wedding instead. And they say yes for some bizarre reason and they want to have a fake wedding, then just let them have a real wedding. What is <laughs> this literally makes no sense. And why are they so like concerned about legally binding marriage? I what? I need to know the, I need to like contact the author of this and be like, okay, what's, what's the tea here? Okay. So like I said, part one was all about approaching the couple. Part two is taking other action, (laughs) whatever the fuck that means. Step one, call out the lies. Wow. If you know the wedding is a fraud, (laughs) 
or there are legal reasons the wedding should not go through as planned, you have at least 28 days to take legal action. Couples must let a registrar know of their decision to get married and the registrar is required to make that information public for at least 28 days. Okay, so now that I'm getting into it, I'm wondering if they're talking about like green card weddings, like green card marriages. Maybe the wedding is a fraud in that sense because they're not actually in love and they're just doing it so someone can get citizenship. Um, That could be what they're referring to by legal action. Um, Okay, step two is involve others. That's, That's great because I think if you're already trying to break up this wedding and you've already gone to the bride and the groom and you've suggested, you know, that they get a fake wedding and then you also contact your local registrar, the next best thing that you could possibly do is involve everyone else involved in the wedding, right? Um, All right. It says, if you have a good reason to believe the wedding should be stopped, it will help if you get others to feel the same way. If you feel you may be If you feel it may be the only way to stop the wedding, share your research you've done with the family and friends of the couple to obtain greater opposition. Use this pressure to divide the couple. (laughs) Awesome. It's like, just break them up, basically. This should be done as a last resort, as it could be very traumatic. Um, This whole thing should be done as a last resort. Looking up a WikiHow article on how to break up a wedding, that is the absolute last resort. Um... Uh, or it could bring the couple closer together in their possible attempt to escape and elope. (gasps) No. Then it says, this is a very good disclaimer. I feel like crashing a wedding is not advised. It is a dramatic and reputation damaging route, which may not even work since some couples are legally married by signing the marriage license before the wedding ceremony. The recommended plan would be to talk way ahead of time with the couple to avoid expenses and chaos and to have a rational discussion where you share all sides. Now that I'm thinking about this, maybe the article was written by like um, a mother or like a parent of someone in a couple that was about to get married and they were like, I need to stop this wedding. And they, I think they might have crashed the wedding and that's why they added this little disclaimer because they're like, it's dramatic and it's reputation damaging, which what is, isn't that such a selfish way to put that? It's dramatic and it would damage your reputation. Um, Yeah, if you crash a wedding, it would damage your reputation. But it would also ruin the wedding day of like the couple that seems to be very happy to be getting married. Um, All right. Step three is follow the money. So weirdly financially motivated for some reason. Okay, if the couple are relying on both or one set of their parents to support the wedding, you may want to try want to try to stop the money source so the wedding will be called off. <laughs> this is so fucked. If you have legal reasons, again, share this with the parents and let them know they may be financially supporting a harmful situation. What are they talking about? If there aren't legal reasons, you can still voice your other concerns and attempt to to stop the money flow. Like, actually, what are they talking about? That is so rogue. This whole thing is so rogue. And then then we get to part three, which is waiting it out. Uh, One, void the marriage after the wedding. (laughs) You can use an annulment to legally cancel out the marriage as if it never happened. After the wedding, one or two newlyweds can call for an annulment for several different reasons. Yeah, Notice how it says one or two of the newlyweds, not some random stranger that's just against their marriage for some reason. Um, if the marriage was a minor or and recruved, recruved, 
that's not a word, required approval. Uh, if the marriage was not consummated and neither spouse was able to have sexual relations, either spouse were mentally ill or mentally incapacitated, involved drugs or was, or was drunk. If the marriage was illegal based on incest, if the marriage was fraudulent, if the marriage, if a spouse was forced or blackmailed into the marriage, like if any of these things are happening, you should like alert the authorities you shouldn't be like oh trying to just stop the wedding if someone is being married and it's illegal because of incest yeah that's a really good reason to try and stop a wedding <laughs> step two of this one is so sad just wait for the marriage marriage to fail down the road if the couple is fairly young and it's their first marriage, there's a 40% chance that the marriage will end in divorce. Waiting is not a fantastic solution since there isn't actually any end in sight, but it should be your very last resort. This could be a good plan if you believe the relationship is already particularly unstable. Step three, move on. If you feel you've done all that you can rationally do to stop the wedding without success, it's time to accept the inevitable. It may take time, but since you have no control over the couple's decision, the best way to get over your opposition is to move forward with your life. That should have been step fucking one. That should have been part one, step one, and then there should have been no other article written after that. Are you, are you kidding? Oh no. And then this is the sad part because, um, people in the community can, can, uh, ask questions. And this person left a question. My parents want me to marry a person that I do not love instead of the person that I want to marry. What can I do? And it's like, these are the people that end up looking up this article, which is so sad. People in the actual wedding. Or I could see like kids doing this if their parents were getting remarried or something like that. Could you imagine like a small child approaching their parents because they read a WikiHow article on how to stop a wedding and they think that they can do it? so sad. Luckily, the next one is a little bit more lighthearted. We have how to prevent or survive a monkey attack. Okay, so there's a lot going on here right off the bat because how to prevent, that's one thing. I would definitely, I would definitely want to prevent a monkey attack. If I knew I was going somewhere where there were, were a lot of monkeys, I could, I could, I could see me looking up how to prevent a monkey attack because like one time there was a bear on the loose in, in the place that I lived, not on the loose. It was a wild bear. So like he had free reign, but people have been spotting this bear and it was in an area that I walked a lot. So I Googled like what to do if you see a bear, which is, that makes sense. Like to me, that's something someone would look up how to prevent a monkey attack. In other words, I would say like how to, what to do when you come across a monkey, you know, not necessarily how to prevent an attack, but I guess that's kind of getting at the same thing. But the thing that really gets me here is the survive part, how to prevent or survive a monkey attack, because that implies <laughs> that at some point during the attack, you are able to look up this WikiHow article and learn very quickly how to survive the attack so that you can then use this knowledge in the monkey attack that is currently happening to survive it. And that is just unfathomable to me. There, I said it. I don't think that would really happen to people. But let's just, let's get into it. Congratulations. You've booked a trip to somewhere monkeys populate. 
Now, I get what they're getting at there, but what a weird way to phrase that. You've got your passport, your camera, and you've prepared a list of all the sites you want to see. But have you considered the fact that during your trip, you might actually encounter a monkey? Read the following tips to avoid bodily injury when dealing with monkeys and protect yourself from a potentially frightening and dangerous experience. Okay, awesome. So part one is taking proper precautions. Now this, again, this part makes sense to me because if you know that you're going to be out in the wild and you might see monkeys, I would think it's important to, you know, take the right precautions. So step one is to dress appropriately, all the basic things, you know, don't wear jewelry, remove piercings, leave anything shiny at home, long hair should be tied up or put back, consider wearing contact lenses instead of glasses. So all of this makes sense, right? Because it's like there's things hanging off your body, you don't want that because monkeys could just latch onto it. Uh, Step two is to keep your distance. Again, I would say this is true of any type of encounter you could have with any type of wild animal. Keep your fucking distance. Set aside your fantasies about getting close to a cute and lovable monkey. Sure, it's a possibility to cultivate a relationship with monkeys over a long period of time, and some monkeys are tamer than others. But you must always remember that no matter what, monkeys are wild animals. Keeping your distance is important is an important step in preventing a monkey attack. Remember, some species of monkeys have up to four times the strength of human beings. That's actually insane. Monkeys are unpredictable. Monkey bites are dangerous due to the high levels of bacteria in their mouth, and they are a common carrier of rabies. Okay. Okay, great. Um, Step three, do not feed the monkeys. Again, to me, these are all pretty basic things. You know, dress appropriately and accordingly. Don't approach the monkeys. Keep your distance from the monkeys. Definitely don't try to feed them because that seems stupid. Step four is consider your body language. Okay, I guess this makes sense because they say, you know, some animals can like sense fear. You don't want to be doing anything that would be aggressive. Uh, It says avoid smiling at the monkeys or making any gesture that bears your teeth. To a monkey, a big toothy grin is a sign and threat of aggression. Do not yell at, sing, tease, or heckle the monkey. Why on God's good earth would anyone sing to the monkey? Who is singing to the monkey? You, you, you're in the wild, right? And you go and you see a monkey in a tree. And your first thought is like, I should sing Taylor Swift to this monkey right now. That to me is odd, but you know, teach their own. Um, okay, so definitely don't sing at the monkey. Next, be careful when taking pictures. You found the coolest location, the light is right, and there are tons of cute monkeys just waiting to be photographed. But be careful. Monkeys have been known to attack selfie takers because they sometimes interpret their own reflection in the camera lens as a strange and potentially dangerous monkey. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, really? They see their reflection in the camera lens and they're like, who the fuck is that weird ass monkey? I got to attack him. That's actually crazy. I've, I wouldn't have guessed that. Um... Okay, so now we get to part two. So like I said, part one, pretty standard. It's all, it's all about how to prevent the attack. Now part two, we get into dealing with monkey aggression. Now I am going to post the picture of this monkey that they have here because it is, it's a cursed monkey. You would not at any point in time want this monkey coming after you um, in any way, shape or form. Uh, Be aware of hostile signs. 
pay close attention to the monkey's body language if there there are some behaviors you should become familiar with. For example, a monkey is telling you it feels threatened and it might have an aggressive manner if it blinks, makes an exaggerated yawn, or gives you a big smile. That's so creepy. When a monkey bares its teeth, it is almost always a sign of aggression. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. Stand your ground is step two. If a monkey is acting especially aggressive, don't run away or show fear. The pecking order in monkey clans is well established and running away will tell the monkey that you are subordinate to them and will increase their aggressive instincts. Instead, back away slowly while facing the monkey and avoiding direct eye contact. Okay, so you're looking at them, but you're not looking at their eyes. So maybe you're looking at like their stomach or something. You're looking at the monkey's stomach and you are slowly backing away. Okay, that's easy enough. Um, Step three, show them your empty palms. Most acts of monkey aggression are a result of the monkey thinking you have food. If you do not have food, oh, if you if you do have food, throw it in their direction. If you don't, simply hold out your empty palms to show the monkey you have none. Okay, so that's how to deal with an aggressive monkey. Part three is surviving an attack. Okay, now the picture for this one is extremely cursed as well. It's a woman with a very concerned expression on her face. Um, step one is don't panic. Many people who study monkeys have actually been attacked by them. Yeah, that's not surprising to me at all, considering that they're wild animals, but have never been bitten. Okay, interesting. The secret is to avoid panicking if an aggressive monkey comes at you and jumps on you. The monkey is most likely only asserting itself and is not actually looking for combat. Contain your fear as best as possible. Don't scream and don't try to fight the monkey or push it off walk away calmly the monkey will eventually let go and leave you alone i'm sorry so the monkey jumps onto me and is attacking me and i'm supposed to walk away calmly because eventually it'll just let go and leave me alone i don't think no, no thank you um don't play tug of war why on earth do you see what i'm saying like why do you think that that's a helpful step why would anyone initiate playing tug of war with a monkey? Never refuse to drop something that a monkey has grabbed a hold of. Monkeys are very curious creatures, but they also have shorter attention spans than we do. Sh shorter than humans? There's no way. Our attention span is like 0 0.02 seconds. Um, so the chances are that they'll drop whatever it is that they've grabbed within a short amount of time. Anything with straps like your camera or backpack are tempting for monkeys and many people have been attacked because they refuse to let the monkey examine it. Um, yeah, that checks out. Number three, treat any bites or wounds immediately. A monkey bite, no matter how small it may seem, is no laughing matter. Monkeys are known carriers of rabies, but even a bite from a healthy monkey can cause a life-threatening infection due to the bacteria in their mouths. Retreat to a safe, safe place, scrub the wound with clean water and soap to make sure as many germs as possible have been removed, and then visit a doctor as soon as you can. Um, okay. Okay, so all in all, the really only helpful piece of information that I got from this was how to um the only thing is the only thing you should do when a monkey attacks you is just walk away while the monkey is on you and attacking you and you know what sure literally sure I mean I guess I guess that makes 
sense a little bit uh, kind of okay so the last two i have are kind of halloween themed um which i thought could be fun could be a good way to get us in the mood for spooky season um i hate that i just said that please my deepest apologies um all right so the first one we're gonna look at that's you know halloweeny is how to act like you're possessed we've all been there we've all been there where we're like It'd be really funny if I just pretended to be possessed and everyone was so scared of me. That would be so funny. Um, So that's what this article is for specifically. It says, whether you want to pretend to be possessed as part of your Halloween costume or simply want to pull a disturbing prank on your friends and family, you can learn to act the part fairly easily by following a few behavior and personality guidelines. Pair your new behavior modifications with some convincing makeup tricks and soon you'll be able to appear realistically possessed without difficulty. Now... Besides the fact that anyone who's ever looked this up with any type of serious intentions should truly seek mental help, I am just confused. I'm really confused. Because if you're going to act possessed as part of a Halloween costume, I think that would be pretty... Like, possessed like what? What is... I feel like you would just act like, I don't know a zombie or something you know what I mean like you would just act like you had no control over your body but it'd be like funny it wouldn't be like serious because never once have I worn a Halloween costume and been like I need to fully act like I am this person you know what I mean like it's just the costume for me so I guess I just can't relate to that and never in my life have I felt the urge to pull this kind of disturbing prank on my friends and family. So I don't think I would ever look this up if not for the reason that I am right now. But step one, sorry, part one is exhibiting sudden personality changes. Okay. So step one says become withdrawn, quiet, and defensive. One of the most telltale signs of demonic possession is a sudden change in personality. A usually happy and social person might become quiet and withdrawn, followed by negativity and hostility. Be very quiet and only speak when you're spoken to. Yeah, so this is a great way to lose friends and to have people be very, very concerned about you. And I wouldn't say this is a prank. Like if I saw, if one of my friends was playing a prank on me where she was acting like she was um, possessed, demonically possessed, um, and she just all of a sudden became very hostile and negative and was quiet and withdrawn, I would be very concerned for her mental health. I (laughs) I wouldn't be like, oh my God, do you think she's possessed? I would be like, is she okay? Like what's going on? Um, reply in a monotone, emotionless voice and act defensively when you are asked any questions about your behavior. Awesome. This is, like I said, this is a great way to lose people. Because in my mind, if I were to act possessed as a prank, which like I said, I would never do. I have no urge to do that ever. But it would be like a quick one-time thing. It wouldn't be like altering my personality for a long period of time so that people eventually are like, wait, what's going on with her? You know what I mean? Um, you can also mimic people in a sarcastic voice when they talk to you, repeating whatever they say in an eerie tone before walking away abruptly. What? This is just a good, this is, like I said, this is just how to lose friends, how to make people mad at you. Um, step two, show a lack of interest in all of your hobbies. This is literally just depression. Like this is just acting depressed. Appear listless at all times and don't visibly enjoy anything. (laughs) This is so sad. When asked your opinion or your 
or when friends and family try to otherwise draw you into a conversation and respond with a sullen, I don't care and stare off into the distance. Awesome. Um, step three, develop sudden and violent verbal outbursts. Are you kidding? Make angry, unexpected comments in the midst of a casual conversation or a quiet dinner. Have explosive, violent reactions to benign, random things. Make it seem like these comments and reactions are happening without your control. Look disoriented and confused after a sudden outburst. It should be over almost as quickly as it began, leaving everyone around you feeling jolted and confused. No, leaving everyone around you feeling very conf- like scared and concerned. I wouldn't say jolted and confused. If I was at dinner with my friends and one of them had an explosive violent outburst, I wouldn't be like, I'm confused. I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? This is scary. I'm calling the cops. I wouldn't call the cops, but you know what I'm saying. Project your voice loudly, give it a sharp edge and speak more quickly than you normally would do during these verbal outbursts. Twitch a little bit like you're experiencing muscle spasms. This is like so many steps. And this is clearly also drawn out over like a weird, weirdly long period of time. Like if you were to do all of these things, it would be over the course of like at least a day, if not several days, right? Like you can't just like make a personality change like that because people might just be like, oh, like she's just, you know, in a weird mood, but it'll pass. And then like a couple hours later, you're still acting weird. And then like that night at dinner, you're having a violent outburst. Like, this isn't a prank anymore. This is like, you've just committed to this. And also at what, like, why would anyone do this as part of their Halloween costume? You know, why would someone show a lack of interest in all of their hobbies for a costume? That just doesn't make any sense. Um, keep a blank, exhausted look on your face. Honestly, I feel like I, I have that part down. Honestly, walk around in a sort of fugue state, like almost like you're sleepwalking. Look exhausted and completely without energy as if you haven't, as though you haven't been sleeping well or eating enough. When someone does stop you or tries to get your attention, narrow your eyes a bit and stare at them word, wordlessly before returning to your blank, empty facial expression. Don't overdo it. You don't want to look you want to look exhausted and even a little bored. If you're too dramatic, it won't be believable. Okay. Step five, leave incriminating books and images lying around. Place books about the occult and drawings of strange symbols in places where people will see them. Be seen tracing a symbol over and over on a piece of paper um, as though you're in a trance until your pen tears through the paper. Look perplexed by this. Keep these incidents to a minimum, maybe one or two instances. If your room is suddenly littered with crystals, tarot cards, and other occult tools, it won't be quite as believable. Such incidents will plant the idea in the minds of your friends and family that something very sinister is going on with you, but it won't be so over the top that it reveals your ruse. Is this a ruse at this point? I don't think so. It says maybe one or two times do this. Maybe one or two times be caught tracing a symbol over and over and over that it tears through the paper just but just one or two times like how long is this prank going on too far it's gone too far step six this is concerning just by the title do unnerving things in public no no don't take this in public this was supposed to be a funny prank on friends and family why would you take it in public Sit in a chair facing the wall and laugh hysterically to yourself. Be seen seen having 
furtive conversations with no one in dark corners. Rock back and forth catatonically while repeating a phrase under your breath. Hiss at people as you walk by them. Awesome. Uh, this is another area in which you don't want to overdo it to be believable. Start with an isolated incident and have them grow more frequent and weirder as time goes by. You also want to avoid being too dramatic with these incidents as it might get you into trouble at school or work. At work? You think these people are going to work and then they are sitting in a corner laughing to themselves hysterically? That's so, like, someone would think you are on drugs. Someone would literally think that you were having some kind of, like, mental psychotic break and they would probably get you help. Like, this isn't, that wouldn't be a joke. Is anyone else, like, really concerned by this? Okay, method two says using makeup to look possessed. (laughs) no all right fine let's just read it apply pale concealer to your face neck and lips choose a concealer that is at least a few shades lighter than your natural skin tone make sure to apply the makeup evenly to create the right pallor 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 i don't know what that word is you can also add white face cream or powder the kind sold at halloween stores over the concealer to lighten it up even more Okay, so you want to look sun-deprived and scary. Uh, Step two is to add matte brown, gray, or purple eyeshadow under your eyes. People would be literally so confused if one day you, like, showed up to school. (laughs) These pictures are hysterical. I'm posting all of the funny pictures from um, WikiHow on Instagram, by the way. So you should follow Combos on Instagram. It's at parkscarcombos.pod. Um, because these pictures are actually hysterical. It says to contour your cheekbones with a brown or gray matte eyeshadow. Um, so basically you're looking like a vampire. It's giving vampire. Uh, color your eyes, cheeks, and nose with red makeup. Apply a pink, maroon, or red lip stain or eyeshadow to your eyelids. What? This is so, you look scary, man. This guy looks so scary. Um this picture I can't so then you want to define and deepen your facial lines so using a small angular brush apply matte brown or gray eyeshadow to the lines and creases of your face so basically you look like a wrinkly mess like a tired old wrinkly mess and then this part is just gross you draw veins on your cheeks or forehead that's so gross it's like telling you to use a blue eyeliner to add veins it's not the vibe trust me and then dust your face lightly with a sheer or white powder this will make your newly drawn veins look like they're sitting beneath your skin that's disgusting make your lips look dry and cracked (laughs) pucker your lips and fill in the lines with dark shadow or an eyeliner pencil apply some pink slash red slash maroon eyeshadow to the inner edges of your lips They will enhance the dehydrated look of your lips. I always want my lips to look dehydrated. Make your hair look greasy and stringy. If you, like, once you guys see the pictures, it'll probably give you a better idea. But, like, if you showed up looking like this around any of your friends or family members, they would be so confused. They wouldn't think you're possessed. They would think that you're going through, like, a goth pop punk phase, I feel like. And that honestly might be even more concerning to to them um, because it's just, it's not a good, this is not a good look. 
darken your fingernails and fingertips to look dirty. I'm sorry, do possessed people have dirty fingernails? What a weirdly niche detail. Oh God. Then we get to method three, displaying physical disturbances. Step one, wake up screaming, obviously. Frequent nightmares are another common sign of demonic possession, so pretend you have them fairly consistently. Scream unintelligibly and thrash around <laughs> so that you look unkempt and sweaty. And when someone someone inevitably comes to check on you, open your eyes as wide as you can and make sure your facial expressions show that you're terrified. When asked about the nature of your nightmares, get upset and shake your head hysterically as though you can't even fathom verbalizing what you've seen. The most effective time to do this would be between midnight and around 2 a.m. Others in the house won't be deeply asleep yet, so it will be easier to wake them. What? Practice yoga and flexibility training. This is step two. Possessed people are often depicted in popular cinema as being able to contort their bodies. It is also common for them to display superhuman strength. You can increase your strength and flexibility through yoga, light stretching, and weight training. Arrange yourself in contorted positions after your nightmares. Maintain a completely straight face. To prevent injury, stretch your muscles out in private before attempting contortion. <laughs> Uh, keep your contortions simple. It won't take much on your part to unnerve the person witness to this. This person, this poor person who actually reads this and actually tries to scare their family. Like, are you kidding? They would be so terrified. Act catatonic and go long periods without blinking. Jesus. Um, practice rolling your eyes so that only the whites show. <laughs> these people i can't rehearse extreme facial contortions and paint expression exorcists say that possessed people often contort their faces in extreme frightening ways their facial expressions also communicate that they are in pain sit in front of a mirror and practice contorted and pained facial expressions awesome uh learn a new language or a few latin phrases <laughs> learn a new language for a prank where you pretend to be possessed i have to learn a new language this is such a time-consuming prank develop a creepy voice awesome in film when a demon speaks through the possessed person its voice is often very low sinister and a bit raspy play around with your voice to see what sorts of strange and frightening sounds you can make Check out a few online instructional videos to increase your vocal range. Oh, God. Do you have another one for that? No. You record yourself speaking in a creepy voice with your phone. Use an app to make your voice sound deeper or scarier. Then play the recording late at night when you're around other people. If someone ever played this alleged prank on me, I would literally shit my pants. And then what? And then I'm sitting there having shot my pants and you're pretending to be possessed. And what have we accomplished? literally what have we accomplished i also wouldn't be friends with that person anymore if i was friends with someone who went to this extreme of lengths to pretend they're possessed i don't want to be your friend that's so weird why did you do that why did you alter your entire personality and change your entire lifestyle for a, a prank that's bizarre and i don't want to be your friend okay so the last one that we're going to look at is just as festive it's how to catch ghosts. Now, this one immediately stood out to me because because of the way that they phrase this, how to catch ghosts. Okay. Now, you can believe in ghosts. I do. 
you can want to see ghosts, right? Like ghost hunting. But ghost hunting is when you go and like find ghosts and basically just watch them do paranormal things. You know what I mean? Never once have I heard someone say that they want to catch a ghost. Um, because you can't do that. That's simply impossible. You can't catch a ghost. It's like a invisible entity. How the fuck could you catch it? Right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, don't you think it's a weird way to like, why? And then what would you do if you caught it? Kill it? Bitch, it's dead. It's dead. What would you do with it? Be friends with it? Like, I don't understand. You can't catch a ghost. So that's why I was intrigued by this one, because I'm like, I want to see how they propose you could catch a ghost because I just don't think it's possible. All right. So the parts for this one is locating ghosts, uh, confirming the presence of a ghost and catching the ghost. Now, again, this is interesting because step two, confirming the presence of a ghost. If you've located the ghost, why would you need to confirm, confirm the presence of it? Do you know what I'm saying? Okay. Anyways, locating ghosts. All right. Look for ghosts in old houses. Awesome. So whenever you see an old house, just break into it and try and see if there's a ghost there. Like old houses, like a hundred or 200 years old, not from the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s are a good place to look for ghosts. Okay. Sometimes when a person dies, their spirit will return to the place where they died or a place that they can't bear to leave behind, which is often their family home. These spirits are not usually malevolent unless their death was violent. So household goals are goals household household ghosts are a good place to start for a rookie ghost hunter just be sure to get permission before you go ghost hunting on private property who the fuck is going to give you permission to go ghost hunting on private property imagine someone comes to your house and they're like hey you mind if we inspect the premises for ghosts um no actually come to think about it I did do that in college I did go down to someone's dorm room because I heard that someone died in that dorm room which I shouldn't have told anyone that was so messed up on my part because I would have been so freaked out but it was it was guys and they like didn't believe in ghosts so it was fine and I was like can I bring a Ouija board down here and talk to ghosts and they were like get out of my dorm room and I was like okay bye um Step two, look for ghosts in cemeteries. Cemeteries are another good location for ghost catching, even if they can be a little creepy at night. Uh, I don't know why I did that. Sometimes ghosts cannot bear to leave their physical bodies behind after death, while other spirits come to visit graves of their family and friends. Like, how do you know that? How do you know that? Look for ghosts in old schools. Again, all of these involve you going to places and just guessing if there's a ghost there like you can go to an old house you can go to as many old houses as you want how do you determine if there's actually a ghost there you wouldn't like do you know what i'm saying you can go to as many old schools as you want but look for ghosts in old prison buildings how where do they think i live do they think i live in an area where there's tons of old abandoned prison buildings and abandoned old schools and houses that are 200 years old this just doesn't exist look for ghosts in former insane asylums oh of course i'll go to the insane asylums um because they're notorious for mistreatment of patients using inhuman inhumane treatments such as shock therapy water submersion and lobotomies causing much unnecessary pain and suffering for the unfortunate victims this makes sites of old insane asylums a prime location for ghosts be warned, however, these spirits may be angry and violent, seeking retribution for their poor treatment in life. Uh, duh. Look for ghosts in former battlefields. Awesome. Like, 
actually I probably do live near a ton of former battlefields um so I take that back but look for ghosts at the site of a murder or an accident what the fuck I go to the <laughs> this is again this is literally something I did so that's fucked look but like a murder the person was not murdered that I was looking for I wasn't looking for them I can't I'm sorry I was fascinated because I lived in a haunted building if you haven't listened to that episode it was my episode from last Halloween and it was like spooky stories or something um in that episode I talk about all of the ghost encounters that I've had in my life and that was it was really cool you should listen to it because I believe in ghosts and I think talking about ghosts is really fun but imagine like someone in your town was like tragically murdered and you like go to their house and you're like hey you guys mind if I try and catch the ghost here? Like, what? What? Okay, so part two is confirming the presence of a ghost, which I think is the most, I think you would have to do that first. Because like I said, you can go to as many of these places as you want, but like, how do you know that there's a ghost there? Like, that just seems fruitless. Um, okay, so step one, use the manual settings on the camera. The manual setting is preferable to the auto one as it'll have a greater control. You'll have a greater control over the exposure, making you more likely to catch the snap of a ghost. (laughs) Catch the snap of a ghost. The ghost may appear as a blur or a streak of light in a developed photograph. Um, In addition, paranormal activity, activity tends to interfere with the operation of electrical equipment, making a digital camera unreliable. Um, Okay, so then why am I bringing in a camera? That doesn't make any sense. Use a camcorder and see if you can catch any glimpses of unusual shapes or activity. Okay, if your camera has a night vision feature, make sure to turn that on, obviously. Use a tape recorder to try and pick up on some sounds. Use an EMF detector, um, which is like that that's an electromagnetic field detector, so it can measure and change. Um to disruptions in the surrounding electrical fields, which may indicate the presence of a ghost. Ooh, sneaky. Use other specialist equipment. Download a ghost hunting app, classic, and look out for any normal, any paranormal activity. Literally, duh. Did you have to include that step? Step seven is look out for any paranormal activity. What else would I be doing there? What a stupid thing to say. Watch out for items falling, moving locations seemingly of their own accord. Keep an ear out for any unusual or unexplained noises. Pay attention to any sudden changes in temperature or general feelings of unease or feeling spooked. Obviously, I'd be doing all of those things. Stupid people. Um, again, so are these, are these, is this the protocol I'm supposed to go through every single time I go to one of those locations that was aforementioned? Am I supposed to go to all of the local abandoned old schools prison buildings insane asylums uh 200 year old houses graveyards and battlefields in my vicinity and perform this activity in every single one of them okay now we're moving on to the real bread and butter which is part three catching the ghosts now this is the part i'm most excited for because i don't think you can for some people identifying the presence of a ghost is enough to satisfy them as it should be literally as it should be while others want to go one step further and capture the ghost make sure you think long and hard before attempting to catch a ghost you don't want to end up haunted for life if you decide to go ahead with it use one of the two methods outlined below Use the box and burial method. If you want to lay a troubled spirit to rest, you should you should use this method. Take a metal container with a tight-fitting lid, carry 
and and cover the bottom with a layer of soil taken from hollowed ground such as a church or a cemetery. Leave the container open at the location where you found the ghost. The sanctified soil will draw the spirit in. Once you have used ghost detection apparatus to confirm that the spirit has entered the container, slowly and gently replace the lid and then sprinkle a pinch of salt on top. Bury the container in hollowed ground. So I have to steal soil from a church, which would be probably trespassing and vandalism, like digging up the dirt. And then I have to bury this empty container on the church property. It's a great way to get arrested. Uh, Step two is use the candle method. The candle method is good for trapping pesky spirits who are causing trouble around the home. Take a large glass jar, open the lid and place the candle inside. At midnight, light the candle and place the jar in a central point at the haunted location. The energy emitted by the burning candle will attract the ghost, but this energy will also trap the ghost inside. Once you have confirmed that the ghost presence is inside the jar, tightly replace the lip. The candle will burn out on its own. Keep the jar tightly sealed as long as you wish to hold the ghost captive. If the jar is opened or broken, the spirit will be released and might come to exact revenge on its captor. And that's it. That's it. So you have to keep this jar closed for the rest of your life, basically. Um, And the ghost will just be in there chilling and won't be able to get to you. Wow. I, I don't know about you guys. I feel like I've learned a lot today. I have a lot, a lot of useless information, but information nonetheless that I have learned. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Um, Next week's episode will be the Halloween episode where I'm going to be reading spooky stories, which reminds me, if you guys have any uh, cool spooky stories, send them to my DMs. I love I love hearing about them and maybe I'd read, the, read it in the episode because I I just think I love talking about this stuff. I love Halloween. So let's get into it. If you have any any good spooky stories to share, um, I hope you liked this episode. Follow at parchcarconvos.pod on Instagram. Um, what else? Follow the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, rate the podcast, review the podcast, tell your friends about the podcast. Any of those things would be so great and so much appreciated. Um, And other than that, have a fabulous day. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.